And I have what I trust will be a short homily from Psalm 16. I encourage you to follow along with your pew Bible or your own Bible. Psalm 16 and the pew Bible is found on page 453, 453. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, take these words penned by your servant David so long ago by the Holy Spirit. May we see your grace and mercy to us and may we see Jesus our Savior in and through these words. In Jesus' name, we come with these prayers. Amen. So this um, psalm is a uh, psalm that uh, I found rather difficult to put my finger on the main point. Matter of fact, my two favorite um, commentaries on the Psalter, Motir and Kidner, came up with opposite conclusions. So I've got just a few thoughts for you here, four actually. It's a psalm of gratitude. It's a psalm of commitment. It's a psalm of exploration about what it means to say, my God. It's a psalm that is an ideal which is not yet recognized, achieved. Let's start with the first, a psalm of gratitude. I think that the obvious path to start with here is look at verse 5, or rather 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. 
My wife grew up in the home that her mother grew up in, in northern New Jersey. And shortly after World War I, an immigrant Scottish family couple moved in there, the Jarvises, a house painter. When we got there with our family, where we raised our kids, after our, my mother-in-law was raised there and my wife was raised there, we raised our kids there, Mrs. Jarvis was still there, old. She sat on her front porch, she looked across, especially when my wife was trimming the privet hedges that marked out the boundary, boundary of our yard, and she would say, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. She and her husband had a hard beginning. Young adults at the beginning of World War I in the British Isles. But she, in her old age, would tell her minister, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And when she told Eleanor that, she thought that was an encouragement to make sure that that hedge was cut in a straight line. Well, it's a psalm of gratitude. It's a psalm where this psalmist is recognizing that he has been given a gracious provision. What are these lines that are talked about? Well, they actually used uh, ropes or cords to divvy up the land in the book of Joshua, the allotted land. So that's what undoubtedly is being talked about. But it's very clear that the psalmist is moving on from the physical inheritance to the spiritual inheritance. The spiritual inheritance of uh, the intangible inheritance uh, of uh, God's mercy, ultimately, but many other mercies that come before then. Mother's arms for us. We just sang about many of those mercies. This is a psalm about God's mercies. And by the way, my wife looked up online for me and found uh, that uh, the, uh, the son of one of her best friends from growing up has put this uh, to music, uh, put, made the lyrics to fit, Come Thou Font of Every Blessing. You look that up on, and I was moved when my wife showed me that, uh, to listen to this being sung, Come Thou Font. Number two, this is a psalm of commitment. It's commitment in the sense that the, having surveyed the blessings that he's given, he's, he's expressing his determination to commit himself to this God. Verse 8 especially, I have set the Lord always before me. Negatively, in verse 4, what's going on there? The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. There were those in the Israelite community who weren't trusting God alone for the harvest. And they needed the help of Baal to bring the rain. And so they would mix their affections. And the psalmist says, no, they're in for trouble. That sorrows, those are run after, that's right out of Genesis chapter 3. 
uh, the sorrows that come to those who uh, do not obey God. Well, he's committed, but what especially gathered, uh, got my attention as I was looking for a text to uh, exposit tonight is verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. And that um, puzzled me. I have no good apart from you. Well, don't I have a wife that loves me, children? And all I need in terms of the physical, tangible things? Well, so did undoubtedly David. But what he's saying in here is that all the good that I have is as nothing compared to the fact that you are mine and I am yours. I think this is well expressed by Psalm of Asaph, Psalm 73. These verses will be familiar to you. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I have no good apart from you. That's what a child of God comes to recognize as they grow in maturity. That every good that they have is really from God, but that more than that, that the only real good is God himself. That's expressed in the first Heidelberg Catechism question. Remember that? We've used it occasionally here in the past. What is your only hope in life and in death that I am not my own but belong, body and soul, to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ who has given himself for me. There are many other comforts that we have in life. I, I, I said hope, it's comfort. There are many other comforts that we have. But that ultimately is the basic one when we close our eyes in death. Third, this psalm is, an ex, is a psalm that's probing, searching for what it means when we say, my God. Is there any phrase you hear more frequently than the phrase, my God, or my Lord? Usually it's used in ways that we would not approve of as those who want to honor the name of God. But what does it really mean? I think the psalmist is exploring that. I think he's saying... Well, this God that came to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and said that I will be your God and you will be my people, this God has given me the right to say, my God. My Lord. And what does it mean that God is my God or my Lord? Does that mean he's going to no longer be my God when I close my eyes in death? 
Or does it mean that in some way he will continue to be my God after death? I think David was anticipating what our Lord Jesus said when he disputed with the Sadducees there in his ministry about uh, whether or not there's a resurrection. Don't you remember that scene by the burning bush where Moses heard God say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, now dead 400 plus years. But God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. I think the psalmist is exploring that. If the almighty, all-powerful, all-wise God makes an enduring commitment to you, brother or sister, be confident of this. He will keep that commitment through death. Fourth, this psalm is an unreached ideal. David says in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. The record in the Holy Writ speaks otherwise. He wasn't setting the, whole, the Lord before him in the incident with Bathsheba and Uriah. He wasn't unshaken when he ran away to the Philistines, running out of the land of Israel to get away from Saul. David failed. David knew he failed. We can sing this psalm, and I encourage you to sing this psalm, but we'll never get it right. One person did, though. Jesus. And so the New Testament applies this to the Lord Jesus. In fact, right after Pentecost, or right on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches, and he says to the assembled ones there, puzzled by uh, the tongues and the noise and all of the excitement and the confusion, he said, this is about the prophet Jesus who's been raised again from the dead. You all know that King David died and his body was corrupted but Jesus was raised again and never saw corruption Paul follows in the same manner later and Paul says this is Jesus this is about Jesus well if it's about Jesus does that mean we can't apply it to ourselves that's what I was taught by some uh, Bible expositors when I was a young man no it doesn't we can sing this psalm too and we can make this our ideal, even if we don't reach it. Why? Because we sing it in Jesus. Jesus, who always set the Lord before him and never failed. Jesus, who was never unshaken. Or never shaken. <laughs> So, in Jesus we sing this song. 
In him, our hearts and minds find confidence and stability. In him, we look forward to the resurrection. We look forward to what verse 11 talks about, the path of life through death. The fullness of joy in the presence of God, at the right hand of God, pleasures forevermore. We anticipate being in the presence of God with the help of the Holy Spirit. As Pastor Ryan emphasized, by abiding in the vine, abiding in Christ. And as we do that, we make progress in attaining the unreached ideals of this psalm. There's one thing more before I quit just now. And that's the first verse. I'm going to end with the first verse. Preserve me, O God, for you, in you I take refuge. Keep me, O God. Who can come to God? Whosoever will. Who can pray this prayer? Jesus says, it's the will of my Father that everyone who looks to me, I will raise up at the last day. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Perhaps you're here tonight and you wondered, you wonder, how can I participate in these kinds of blessings? Ask, ask and you will receive. Jesus said, he who is thirsty, come to me and I will give to drink of the well waters of life. Jesus said, come unto me, turn to Jesus, ask him, he will receive you. The psalmist had done that undoubtedly in the past and he's doing it all over again. Keep me. Jesus has that same prayer in the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. Keep us. Keep me. Pray that prayer. And that will give you the confidence to go on and sing this song and to take delight and your brothers and sisters are doing the same as David does in verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Is it your delight to gather with your brothers and sisters in Christ tonight? I pray God that it is. Let's pray. Thank you, Father in heaven, for speaking by the mouth of David, so long ago. But much more we thank you that Jesus is our portion. That Jesus took the cup that we could not take in order to give us the cup of blessing. Thank you, Father in heaven, that we can sing this song in the name of Jesus. And now send us forth with praises of thanksgiving on our heart 
to enjoy this time with family and friends. Bless the hospitality of Wallace tomorrow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.